Now let's go to the scripture and we'll read today's scripture for today. It's found in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. May the word of God, may God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of scripture. I, uh, I sing a song to our oldest son, Grady, every night before um, he falls asleep. Well, I say every night. We, we just recently had another one, so we, you know, tag team this, and it's man-to-man right now in our household. So when I'm in there with Grady, I sing him this song, and I've been doing it with him since he was Baylor's age, since he was a baby. Uh, and it's a song, you may have heard of it by the Avett Brothers, it's called The Ballad of Love and Hate. And uh, this is a song all about love and hate personified. It's a beautiful song. If you don't know it, you should. It's great. Uh, It starts off, though, with love uh, writing to hate, telling him that she is on the way home from her vacation, that she's excited to see him, and that she's going to be home late. Hate gets the letter, and in typical hate-type fashion, reads the letter, crumples it, crumples it up, throws it away, and then barks out this lyric. No one here cares if you go or you stay. I barely even noticed that you were away. I'll see you or I won't, whatever. We're told then that love sails uh, through the sky, and as she does, she sings this beautiful song that the water even looks bluer through her pretty eyes, and all the while, hate is stalking the streets with this serious look on his face, and then Love arrives. She arrives safely, we're told, with suitcase in tow. And she is carrying with her all of the good things we know. A reason to live 
and a reason to grow, to trust and to hold and to care. Love carries with her the good things we know, a reason to live that is not just to exist, but to actually live our lives and continue living our lives, and a reason to grow, that our lives aren't stagnant, they don't remain the same, but they change and they look different as we get older and have new experiences, we grow. This is what love does in our lives. But I wonder, is this the way that you learned about Jesus? Is this similar to how you were taught uh, Jesus's way, that love is what's influencing your life? Love influences your reason to live. Love is influencing your reason to grow, that Jesus loves you and he's inviting you into. He's, He's actually offering you the free gift of what he calls an abundant kind of life. That is a life with a lot of living in it. Uh, a life that recognizes that no, things aren't all well all the time. It recognizes reality. It's honest that there is such things as heartbreak and hardship and that we do long for and need healing in our world and our relationships and our minds and our hearts. And my friends, this is what growth offers us. Is this how you learn the way of Jesus? Or are you too... Are you too a product of the pray this prayer, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or else you're going to hell stream of Christianity? I think about a youth retreat that I went on when I was probably just 13, and it still sticks in my brain because of how the weekend went, but also I was in youth ministry for over a decade, and and it Unfortunately, this retreat was similar to other retreats I went on as a student and a leader and a youth pastor. And it's similar to a lot of the retreats that I've even heard from some of you talking about in your experience within the world of the church. Um, I, I remember it being winter. It was the dead of winter. It was super cold. We were at a camp in the middle of nowhere. We ate camp food. We slept in bunk beds. Uh, we tried to impress the girls with their capture the flag skills. Maybe that was just me. Uh, There was this worship band. There was a speaker that they brought in. Whatever the theme of the retreat was, I I don't remember. I know I got the T-shirt. But what I do remember is how the speaker went about his talks. This was a long weekend, so it was Friday night talk, session one. Session two was Saturday night. You know, session three was when you bring it all home on Sunday night. And the gist of it was like this. Friday night, the very first night was, welcome to camp. You're broken. You're sinful. Uh, You, even though you're only like 13 years old, you already have all these dark secrets. There's nothing you can do about this. You have ulterior motives, warped thinking. You're deceitful. You're bad. In a word, doomed. And hell seems like the only likely option. Then it was, amen, go to your cabins and go to sleep. Try sleeping after a message like that. Uh, Then we wake up the next morning to a nice helping of powdered eggs and then some rock climbing and other camp activities only to get us to the second session, night two, which is a little bit different. You know, we're still uh, awful human beings. We're 13 years old and already totally depraved. But had we heard about Jesus? Had had we heard the gospel? Have you memorized John 3.16 yet? 
you know the gist. You're, you're, some of you are nervously laughing because this is a similar story to yours. Forgive me if I'm setting off all kinds of triggers right now. Fast forward to night three, though. This is where the speaker's supposed to bring it all home. And I remember he did. Uh, the point of this talk was that though we were terrible and broken and bound for hell, or in the infamous words of Jonathan Edwards in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, though we are but spiders that God is dangling over the flames of hell, how would you have liked to have been in his congregation? <laughs> though this was true for us, Jesus came to die for us. And you are so sinful that he had to come and God had to put him on the cross and he died for you anyway. Now, exhausted from the lack of sleep, malnourished from the amount of powdered eggs we had had. I don't know why it's always powdered eggs, but it is. And totally dragged through the theological and I would even say emotional mud of the weekend, the band begins to play the right chord at the right time. And the speaker tells us all to come forward, to give our lives over to Jesus. And all of us preteen teenagers find ourselves crying like we've never cried before. That is until the next retreat when we start all over again. Now, I have a lot of issues with this. Thank you for letting me process my emotional trauma as a 13-year-old this morning. And I have a lot of issues with a retreat like this. And I can honestly say, I haven't been here that long, but I know for a fact, because I've been there, that the retreats here at Asbury, our youth retreats, are not like this. And I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Well done, Laura and team. Uh, but the two problems I have with this kind of retreat model, uh, among many, is that the first, beyond it being traumatic, this isn't even the narrative that the, the Bible tells. That is, it doesn't go in biblical order. Genesis 3 is real. We, sin is something, I'm not diminishing that. Brokenness, I mean, just turn on the news or look in the mirror. Uh, we know this to be true. However, the Bible doesn't start with God saying you are broken. The Bible starts in Genesis 1 where the God who is love, our scriptures tell us, creates us out of such love and then looks at us and doesn't say broken. No, God looks at us and says, very good. Well, this is a better starting point, I think. Very good. We talked about it a lot. Another thing that God says to us right off the bat is beloved. The second problem I have, and this one is where it matters for the sermon today, is that this whole thing did nothing for our growth. It gave us a weekend. It may have brought us to the altar may have brought tears to our eyes, maybe we even recognized our sin, and none of that's necessarily bad in and of itself, but it didn't have a follow-up plan. There was no discipleship, there was no growth happening afterwards. We were stuck in the same spot where we were at the end of that retreat until the next retreat when it would just begin again, and we would find ourselves at the altar once more. I would say, arguably, that we had become Christians but we certainly had not become disciples. The word I like is apprentices. We become Christians, but we hadn't become apprentices of Jesus or his way. And I think it would be fair just for you to know where I stand on this as one of your pastors. I actually hold to the conviction that Jesus did not come to make Christians, 
Jesus didn't come to create converts. This isn't like a revolutionary statement, okay? But he didn't come to make Christians or converts. No, I, it's clear to me in scripture that Jesus came to call followers or students or disciples or apprentices who would become like him and then do the things that he did. In one of his most famous discourses, one of his most famous teachings with his apprentices, uh, we find it in John 15 where John read for us, the passage John read for us a moment ago, Jesus gives this analogy of a vineyard. And he sets it all up by saying that he, Jesus, is the vine, that God the Father is the vine dresser or the vine grower. Uh, We, in fact, are the branches. Now, I have this image, and I hope it's helpful for us. It's very simplistic. But I'm gonna leave, we're going to leave that up while we're walking through the passage just for us visual learners. Okay, so Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We got that much. Now, according to Jesus' teaching, he says that God the Father has loved the Son. God loves Jesus. And in the same way that God loves Jesus, Jesus has loved us. And he says that by following in his way and in his love, then we will abide in him as a branch abides in the vine. We will abide in him as he abides in us. Now that word abide in the Greek is the word meno. And just to make sure you're still with me, can you say meno? Ah, very good. Meno does mean to abide, but even more, it means to remain as one with to remain as one with. Jesus is inviting his followers to remain as one with him. So we are to abide or to remain as one with Jesus who is our vine as his apprentices. And we do that, Jesus says, by following the commandment that he gives us. Now the commandment that he gives us in John 15 is to love one another as he has loved us. We are to love one another as Jesus loves us. And he says that in this way, we will not only abide in him, but we will go and bear fruit. But not just any kind of fruit. We will bear a fruit that will last. That description is important. This is another way of saying more simply for us today, and especially as it relates to our sermon series, this is how we grow. We remain as one with Jesus, and then we produce fruit. We remain as one with Jesus and we grow. Growth is an essential part of our apprenticeship to Jesus because we were not meant to come to faith in him and that be it. In my youth retreat story, we weren't meant to have this altar moment or experience a cry night as they are now so fondly called on youth retreats and that be the end of it. This is another, another way to talk about this is the word, the churchy word salvation. We weren't meant to be saved and then you're good. Salvation in that model is the finish line. But when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, salvation is the starting point. And that from that point on, we are to be with Jesus, become like him, and do the things he did. We are to apprentice our lives under his own, to accept and take on his way as our own in the world. It's a lifelong thing. It's not just a moment in time. And, you know, this is in fact why this whole growth thing and salvation working itself out in our lives. This is, in fact, why we came up with these habit trackers. Uh, We have one for kids, as Suzanne just talked about. We have one specifically for students. We have one for adults. 
And it's laid out there in front of you. I hope you've grabbed one. I hope you've taken us up on this invitation, this sermon series to worship, serve, and grow. We even have boxes there for you to check off to kind of help you build that habit. These are spiritual practices we hope you take on in your life as weekly practices. It's not a lot that we're asking yet. Once a week, we're asking you to worship, serve, and grow. And you can check them off and it'll help you build that habit. That's the hope. However, the danger in something like a habit tracker is that these practices or these holy habits would simply become a box that you check off. That you're doing it so that you can check off the box. And when that happens, we've made the habit or the practice the end in and of itself. And these practices or these habits are not meant to be the end goal. That is, we don't want you to pray, or I don't want you to pray, I don't think Jesus wants you to pray, so that you can become a better prayer. Uh, We don't want you to read scripture just so that you can impress everyone with how many Bible verses you memorize. Those are good things. Memorize scripture, please pray. (laughs) But when they become the end of themselves, we've missed the point. These holy habits are meant to be a means to an end. And that end or that goal is communion with the Trinity, the Holy uh, Spirit, God the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's that we might become like Jesus and live like Jesus in this world. It's that we might grow, there's that word again, grow into Christ-likeness. So we use a habit tracker to help us become the kind of people who are not only like Jesus, but who naturally, and that word I want you to remember, naturally do the things that he did. That is, without even thinking about it. You'd be the kind of person who loves like Jesus loves and lives like Jesus lived. And this is what we call growth. A simple definition I have for us is growth is living out the mundane and ordinariness of our lives as Jesus would live our lives if Jesus were us. Living out the mundane and ordinariness of our lives as Jesus would live our lives if Jesus were us. Again, growth is essential to our apprenticeship to Jesus. And the way that this all happens is love. By love, in love, through love, for love. Love is how it all happens. We remain as one with Jesus who is our loving life source as a branch to the vine that we might not only be nourished and sustained ourselves, but also that we might bear fruit that will last. So what is this fruit? Let's kind of pull all this together. As we spend time with Jesus, as we be with him, we will begin to become like him, and to use the language, language of Jesus, we will bear fruit. Um, one more passage of scripture. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, we have in our scriptures, a letter that he wrote to the church at Galatia. And towards the end of the letter, he starts contrasting what he calls life in the flesh and life in the spirit. Life in the flesh is simply like gratifying selfish desires. I would say it's, it's a sin-filled life. And what I mean by that is our desires are disordered. They're out of order. We have disordered desires. That is life in the flesh, according to Paul. But then he says, towards the end of the letter, he says, by contrast... The fruit of the Spirit are, do you know them? If you know them, let's say them together. Love, joy, 
peace. You can say it louder than that. Kindness, patience. I skipped you. Sorry, let's start over. I messed you up. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and well done. You have all been to Sunday school at some point in your life. And he says, there is no law against such things. Now, where did Paul get this idea of fruit? Well, I would argue, and there's not a whole lot of scholarship, but there's some to back up what I'm about to say, that Paul got this idea of fruit from Jesus and his teaching about being the vine and us as the branches. And I don't know if it was the apostles, if it was Peter, but somebody passed this teaching on to Paul, and I think he grabbed hold of it, and he said, yes, that's what we're after producing a fruit that will last, which Paul terms the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, just a fair warning, to fully understand and appreciate what the fruit of the Spirit are, we need to know that they are not commands that Paul is giving. He's not saying, I want you to become more loving or become more joyful or you need to become more peaceful or gentle. I mean, that would be a good thing, but this is not a command from Paul. Instead, what he is doing is he is naming the implications That is, the natural results of a life lived in step with Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit will be your living and breathing testimony that you are walking with and abiding in and remaining as one with Jesus in your life. And thankfully, this whole thing isn't about trying harder I'll use an analogy or an image for you uh, to hopefully make more sense of this. Have you ever seen an orange tree before? Apple tree, fruit tree. We're going to go with an orange tree for my example. Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but, but there's no such thing as a stressed out orange tree. Like, I don't know if you've looked at an orange grove or maybe there's one in someone's backyard. Have you ever seen an orange tree just sitting there being like, I got to produce more oranges. I got to make more oranges. They got to be better than last time. Of course not. That would be ridiculous in like a cartoon. Orange trees don't get stressed out by making more oranges because orange trees naturally produce oranges. That is what they do. And in the same way that a fruit tree produces fruit, an apprentice of Jesus produces the fruit of the Spirit by abiding in Jesus. It's not about trying harder. It's about abiding. It's about remaining as one. This is how you will grow. This is how you will produce the fruit of the Spirit in your own life. And this is what we are after as followers of Jesus. Growing to become an individual who is so as one or at one with Jesus that we would naturally, that is without even thinking about it, become the kinds of people who do the things that Jesus did. This is growth. This is what we're after becoming more who we truly desire to be, becoming more of our true selves, becoming more uh, who Jesus is making us to be, fully alive. I'd like to invite the band up. You see, this is uh, what I think the Aver brothers were getting at about love. That love carries with her a reason to live and a reason to grow, that your life is worth living. It is about more than just existing. A reason to grow, that is, you will not remain the same, and that's just natural. That's just what happens as you get older, as you're like me, your back gives out way too early in life. I should not be having these problems yet. 
And, and change for the better too, like you have kids and it's beautiful. And, but you grow, you become different, but arguably it's not so much different as you become more of who you are meant to be, more of who you really are. And this is what we are after, as we as the branches abide in Jesus our vine, we will become those kind of people who not only are more like Jesus, but we will become a kind of people permeated by his love who can't help but produce that fruit that will last in our lives and in this world.